to welcome up Brandon McKay, who's continuing his series on the Psalms. All right. Thank you, Tori. Good <coughs> morning, everyone, and uh, welcome. And yes, we're in the, the second week um, of looking at the book of Psalms. And last week, we looked at the foundation of um, the book of Psalms, the fact that it's 150 individual Psalms that have been collected into one book. And last week I talked about why we're spending these three weeks in the book of Psalms and the fact that the book of Psalms can teach us um, how to approach God, the words that we can use as we um, come before him and as we approach him in every season of life. And so this morning, what I want to do is have us look at four different Psalms together. And so it's going to be just one of the goals is just for us to read these psalms together and just think about them together as a church and, um, and have, have it be an encouragement to you to, in your own time with God, to use these psalms as a way to enter into his presence and to approach him. So last week I mentioned that there are, even though there are 150 individual psalms in the book of psalms as a whole, there are different types of psalms are different categories of psalms, and some of those um, are used in different types of occasions. So sometimes they would use a particular psalm when the king of Israel was being crowned, and there would be a coronation ceremony, and they would use a particular psalm in order to help as part of that ceremony. Well, two of the types of psalms, that's, that's one type of psalm. Well, two of the types of psalms I want us to look at today, the first one is a psalm of, the psalms of lament, and the second are psalms of thanksgiving. So we're going to look at two psalms of lament to start with, and then finish up this morning by looking at two psalms of thanksgiving. So the word lament, we don't really use too much in our, in our culture. Um, and, and really it's, it's a passionate, what it means is a kind of a passionate, um, way of describing maybe the pain or the anguish um, that you're going through. Laments don't tend to be, you know, um, without emotion. They tend to be these emotional um, ways of communicating, um, very much associated with groaning and grief and some kind of difficult situation that's going on. Believe it or not, there are more psalms of lament in the book of Psalms than there are psalms of thanksgiving. And so, Um, These Psalms of Lament are telling us something very important about how we can approach God in times of difficulty, in difficult seasons of our lives. So we're going to jump right in, and we're going to look at the first of our two Lament Psalms. And so um, let's read these together. So um, together as a church, we're reading his word this morning. So Psalm 13 is our first one. The words are going to be on the screen. And so um, you'll see that, that first part for the director of music, a psalm of David. You'll see this often at the start of, uh, of, of the psalms as they're written, um, who they're written uh, to and who they're written and who's actually written it. So this one is a psalm of David for the director of music. So that's a very common title that you see at the front of psalms. So let's start and, and uh, read together. Um, How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. 
Psalm 13. So that's a, that's a classic example of a lament psalm. And you may have caught at the very start, as we read it together, the, the fundamental question that we've probably all asked of God at some point in our lives. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? And this is a common refrain. This is a common expression in the lament psalms. And we've probably all at some point in our lives been in this place where we're saying, God, how long? How long do I have to wait for you to answer my prayer? How long do I need to wait for there to be any indication that you can hear me? How long until this situation is put right? And so what this lament psalm and what others like it in the book of Psalms are teaching us is it's okay to come to God in situations and times where we're angry, where we are in despair, where we've lost hope, where we have fear, that not only is it okay that we bring those things to God, but it is right and it's fitting that we do that. And when you struggle to know what words to use, when you struggle to give voice to your pain and to your desperation and your lack of hope and that question of how long, O Lord, I'd encourage you to use this psalm and others like it to give words to what you are feeling and going through. The reason they, these psalms are in your Bible is to teach you and give you a way to approach God that's pre-approved, has his seal of approval. You can use these words. Now, this psalm has a typical, lament psalms follow a typical pattern, and this, this, this psalm is a good example, where you start off by maybe questioning God. Sometimes it feels strange to question God, but you know, we, we tend to do it quite regularly. How long, O oh Lord? Why? There's lots of questions that we ask God. How long is one of those fundamental questions that we ask of him? So these lament psalms, they typically start by questioning God. And they often will speak of an enemy. And sometimes the enemy um, in these psalms is, is a physical enemy. You see that in this psalm where there's some type of physical enemy that is coming um, to um, attack David or oppress him. Sometimes the enemy even seems like it's, it's the self. It, sometimes it feels like the enemy is, is your own self, is maybe your own emotion. And you see that in verse 2. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? This idea where sometimes the enemy feels like it's within and then this other sense of sometimes the enemy feels like it's God himself. And so you see this refrain, you see this happen a lot in these psalms where there is a sense in which there's an enemy to be overcome. Sometimes that enemy is external. Sometimes it feels as though that enemy is internal. Now often, you don't see it in this one, but often you'll see some type of confession of sin or some declaration of I have not sinned. And often that's in the lament psalms for a particular reason. Now, the reason is, um, in the Old Testament time, if people saw you in hardship or distress, they would presume that either you had sinned or somebody very close to you had sinned. And so, you know, basically it's your fault that you're in this situation. But this psalm doesn't have any of that. And it's telling us that sometimes um, things in life happen and they, they find you. The trouble finds you. You know, you don't necessarily do anything wrong. You're not, you know... You're trying to keep this relationship with God where you're free from sin and yet trouble finds you and you are in this lament situation. Sometimes it's a phone call or it's an email or sometimes there's these sudden things that happen in our lives where suddenly you are in a lament. 
suddenly you are in this situation where there's hardship. Maybe that's um, a job loss. Maybe it's illness. Maybe it's a family situation, a broken relationship. Whatever it is, you find yourself in this position of lament. Other times, lament is a season of your life where it just feels like this how long is the only prayer you pray for a long time where you're just like, how long, Lord? And it's, it's tough to get past. And you're asking God, how long? And these seasons of lament don't come suddenly, but they persist. And in no seasons, these are the types of psalms. These are the types of words that you can use. Finally, these psalms really incorporate a sense of putting trust in God. So no matter what the situation is, there's a sense in which we once again are encouraged to put our trust in God. So you see that verses 5 and 6. But I trust in your unfailing love, and my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Is how this psalm finishes. Now, at the very end, in, in the English translation, it says, for he has been good to me. That word good doesn't really capture the essence of what was originally written. What was originally written really captures this sense of a fullness of restoration. So it's not just that God is good to us. The sense is every area of lacking and longing and desire and what has been taken or what is missing in the life of the psalmist, of the person who wrote this, everything that is lacking, all of that will be restored, that there will be fullness of restoration and fullness in every area. And that is what he puts his hope in the Lord to accomplish in his life. Okay, so that's our first lament psalm. We've got one more I want to look at this morning. Now, this psalm is, is well known um, for many of us because the language and the words of this psalm have been kind of incorporated into just kind of the language that we're familiar with in the church. In the first psalm, I said that there was no sense of the psalmist having sinned, and that's the reason for his lament. Sometimes the trouble finds you, and it's, it just finds you. But there's other times where we sin, and we recognize our sin, and we recognize our broken relationship before God, and we're trying to find the words to get back into right relationship with God. And that's where King David found himself in Psalm 51. So... Um, there's a note at the start of this, again, one of these titles that are applied to the Psalms for the director of music, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So you may know the story, but David commits adultery with Bathsheba and then basically um, makes sure that her husband is murdered in battle to help cover up the crime. And so it's it's just a tragic tale, and the, and the ripple effect of this sin continues in the life of David um, pretty much until, until he dies, and it just continues in his family. You see that in, in the story of David's life. So this is, this is raw emotion of David coming before God, and it's, it's, it starts, have mercy on me. So let's read this uh, again. Let's read this together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that when you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, 
sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not light in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So this um, psalm is deeply personal for King David. And it's one of those occasions in scripture where you get a snapshot into the inner workings of someone's heart and someone's mind. Sometimes you read a story in scripture and you're not quite sure what's going on on the inside of that person. There's no question and no doubt what's happening on the inside of King David in this psalm. He's crying out for mercy and for forgiveness. There's a depth of sorrow here that you don't often see portrayed in scripture. The story here is tragic and David is just full of sorrow at his sin. In the New Testament, in Romans 7, we read of the Apostle Paul wrestling to overcome the sinful nature. And it's another one of these snapshots of the inner workings of someone's heart and someone's mind. And remember, that's that passage where Paul says, the things that I want to do, I do not do. And the things I do not want to do are the things that I do. And this battle that we are in to serve God and to live for him versus serving the desires of our sinful nature. In this psalm, we see David is confronted by the full reality of his sin and his sinfulness before God. And he feels that distance and he feels the uncleanness and just the depth of sorrow over his sin. In this psalm, there are three words, three different words that are used to speak of sin. And the first, first one is, is very similar to our understanding of sin. That's wrongdoing. But there are two additional ways that sin is described in the original language in this psalm. The first one 
is willful defiance or rebellion. So sometimes we see that in our lives where, you know, we know we're doing something wrong. We know that it's against God's will. We know it's sinful, and yet we go ahead and we do it anyway. And we all have those occasions, those instances in our lives where that happens, where the sinful nature, we just enter into it fully, and we know we're rebelling against God, and we do it anyway. So that's the second way that sin is described. The third way that sin is described comes from the word to twist or to bend something, to twist or to bend something. And it's the idea that you take something good and true and you bend it or you twist it so that it's no longer good and no longer true. So three ways to think about sin and three ways that David is experiencing his sinfulness in this psalm, that he's done wrong, he's rebelled actively against God, and he's twisted something that has been pure and turned it into something that is evil. But just as there's three words that describe sin and sinfulness in this psalm, there's three words to really capture the picture of what righteousness looks like and what being restored into right relationship with God looks like. The first one is to blot out or obliterate something. The idea is that when you had written something down and you needed it to be cleaned up, that you would be able to erase it. It's a little bit like this piece of art from this morning where you look like this, where you're dirty and you have stains of sin and you become new. Where the slate is wiped clean. That's the first picture of being restored. The second picture is of washing and making something clean. Have you seen those uh, pictures or you know, we've seen a video clip where people are taking their clothes and they're scrubbing them up against a rock and then they beat them to get all of the dirt and the filth out. And it's this idea where something is, is scrubbed and it is beaten and it's scrubbed and it's beaten and it's washed and it's washed and it's washed until it's clean. That's the second picture of being made right before God. And the third is the idea of cleansing and purifying. There are some things you can scrub and you can clean them and you can make them look real nice again. There's other things, though, you can't clean them. You need to purify them. And so what David is crying out for in this psalm is for all of these things to happen. That the stain of his sin would be washed away. That he would be washed clean and that he would be purified. There's a term used in verse 10 that says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And the word used for, for um, create is a word that's only used of things that God can do. There's two words for create in Hebrew. One is for the things that we create as humans. One is for what God creates. So you see it in Genesis 1. God creates the heavens and the earth. Only God can do that. Here, God create in me a clean heart. It's saying only you, God, can do this. You also see in verse 11 a mention of the Holy Spirit, which is actually pretty rare in the Old Testament. You don't see very many direct references to the Holy Spirit. This cry of don't let your spirit leave me. So the role of the Holy Spirit is key to this whole idea of restored relationship with God. And then towards the end of the psalm, there's a deep desire to be brought into full relationship with God. So as we wrestle with our own sinfulness and our desire to be restored in right relationship with God, we can use these words to help us 
to help us to get back into right relationship with God and use these words to give voice to our own expression. Let's pray together in response to Psalm 13 and 51 before we move on. Let's pray. O Lord, hear our prayer. We have all at one time cried out to you, O God, and said, How long until you remember me? Even when our voices are weary from crying out to you and our hearts despair, again we come to you and ask, How long, O Lord? Turn your face to me, I ask. Listen to my prayer. Grant peace to my thoughts and joy to my heart. Answer me, O Lord with favor and kindness. Bring health to my body and peace to my soul. I declare again that I trust in you and in your salvation, praising you and your goodness. Have mercy, O Lord, according to your great love and compassion. Against you I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. When you speak, you judge in righteousness. You desire truth and virtue. Cleanse me, O God. Wash away the stain of my sin my rebellion against you and my twisting of what is true and good. Only you can forgive me, cleanse me, wash me, and restore me. Make me pure in your sight, O God, and turn my sorrow into joy and my pain into gladness. Renew my spirit, and may your Holy Spirit be with me as I am restored in the joy of your salvation. May you receive the praise of my lips and the desire of my heart to live for you. Amen. All right, so we've looked at a couple of lament psalms, and now we're going to switch gears and look at a couple of psalms of thanksgiving as we finish up this morning. So thanksgiving psalms are those psalms that really point us in the direction of thanking God no matter what the situation is that's happening in our lives. There's two types of thanksgiving psalms. The first one are thanksgiving psalms that were used when all of the people got together to worship and when they have these big worship occasions where they would come, whether it's a festival or some type of occasion where the people are together and they're worshiping God. And they would use these psalms to encourage each other in worship and to just give praise and glory to God. And so they're called communal or community psalms of thanksgiving. And so the whole point is that these psalms are used together in corporate worship. So we're going to read one of those. The other type of Thanksgiving psalm is an individual Thanksgiving psalm. That is a psalm that's written by someone. And it's not for public worship necessarily in the sense of pulling people together to worship God. But it's used as the heart's cry of one individual person in giving thanks to God. And uh, we'll finish by looking at one of those. So... um, so we're going to read this first psalm. It's 136. And what it, what it does is it basically sets this, this pattern for us, where what it says is it list, lists all of these different ways that God has been faithful and done these great things in the life of Israel. And so it starts with God essentially saying, God, you are the creator. And then it gets very specific, like you killed the Egyptians for us whenever we were coming out of Egypt and you helped us in battle and you did this and you did this and you did this. And the Israelites in the Old Testament would always be encouraging each other to remember what God had done. And this remembering what God has done wasn't just a history lesson. It was designed to encourage their faith. And so it's the same for us. If you're praying and longing for something, crying out, how long, O Lord? What is that thing that you're waiting for? And has God done that before in your life or someone that you know or someone you've heard of? 
And so what you're doing is remembering God's faithfulness and his goodness, and you're calling that back into your memory, you're calling it back out, and you're declaring again as you do that that God can do it again. And so that's what the point of this was. As the people got together, they would remember together what God had done for them, and it was an encouragement that he can do it again. So we're going to enter into some Old Testament worship this morning, so let's stand together as we read this one. Okay, so this is the psalm, if you've ever been reading it, where it has his love endures forever between every line. So what we're going to do is, is we'll have this side of the room read the first, you'll say the first line, and you guys will do his love endures forever. Okay? So you guys get the easy, the easy assignment this morning. So I'll, uh, I'll read the first line along with you guys and then jump in. His love endures forever. Now you're going to feel like it's a bit of a marathon rather than a sprint. You know, it's a little bit of long. So by the end, you're like, his love endures forever. So, you know, keep going to the end. Just keep enduring. Okay. So, so for us over here, you're going to be tempted to say his love endures forever. Don't say it. These guys are going to do it for you. Okay? Ready? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. Who by his understanding made the heavens. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day. The moon and stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. And brought Israel through the midst of it. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the desert. Who struck down great kings His love forever. and killed mighty kings? His love forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, His love and Og, king of Bashan, His love forever. and gave their land as an inheritance, his love forever. an inheritance to his servant Israel. To the one who remembered us in our lowest state His love forever. and freed us from our enemies His love forever. and who gives food to every creature. His love Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love Amen. You made it. Good job. Okay, so uh, that was some Old Testament revival meeting right there. So that was good stuff. Okay, let's uh, stay standing and we'll just jump right into Psalm 138. So just two psalms later, an individual psalm of thanksgiving, and we'll say this all together. 
I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. Amen. You may be seated. So, this is an individual psalm giving thanksgiving and praise to God. And what you see as you read psalms like this, this one and other thanksgiving psalms, is that it's, it's right and it's fitting to give God thanksgiving and praise. And there's times when we experience God's grace and his favor and his love and it just envelops us so much and we're just like, it's all we can do. We just give God praise. And it's, it's right and fitting that we do that. But it's also right and fitting that we praise him and give thanksgiving to him in times where we haven't yet seen breakthrough, where we haven't yet seen victory, and where we're still in lament. But to still give him thanksgiving and praise. And so that's what these psalms help us to do. They help give us words to express this sense of, I will praise you, O Lord, with all of my heart. When, you call, when I called, you answered me. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You will fulfill your purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. There's a sense of, you know, it might not be all taken care of. The situation might persist. But yet, there's the faithfulness of God. And it's right and it's fitting to use words like this to give him praise and to give him thanksgiving. And so... It's understandable that you don't want to stay in lament all the time and you want to make that transition to thanksgiving and to praise. And there are many psalms in the book of Psalms to help you make that transition into giving thanks and praise to God. So I'd encourage you, when you are in those low moments, when you are in those moments of how long, O Lord, and you're just crying out to him, to use the words of Psalms, like Psalm 13, when you are confronted with just the sinfulness of your own heart and just the things that you have done to use the words of Psalm 51 to bring restoration. And then when you are giving thanks and praise to him to use the words of Psalm 136 and 138 and others like them to give voice to your praise and your thanksgiving. So I just want to pray in response to both Psalm 136 and 138 and we'll finish up. So let's pray together. O oh Lord, we turn to you and say again that your love endures forever. 
You have done great and mighty acts, displaying your faithfulness and kindness. You have shown your love and goodness, displayed your holiness, and shown us how to live in relationship with you. I rejoice that you do hear my prayer. You do show your love and kindness to me, and you preserve me and will fulfill your purpose for me. I pray that your name may be praised in the whole earth, and all people may sing of the glory of your great name. May your love keep me forever according to your great kindness and mercy. Amen. Amen.